Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hi, friends. Today I'm chatting with Shannon Martin, and we met each other last spring when we were both speaking at the same event. And I had the chance to listen to her story. And let me tell you, it is powerful and it's kind of fascinating. And I related to it in many ways. Shannon began writing way back in the early blogging days of 2006. And I was following her back then. She was writing about her beautiful life that she had in the country and living in her dream home. She was an adoptive mom. Since those years, God has taken her family on really a quite remarkable journey. So I know you're going to enjoy hearing from her. She is an author and a speaker. Um, She says she found her voice in the country and her story in the city. Her husband, Corey, is a jail chaplain, and they live with their family in Goshen, Indiana. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Shannon, welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to get to talk with you. You know, I have been following you for many, many years, way back from the early blogging days. And I know, I know, I know (laughs) way back in the day, I think, you know, I started my blog in 2006. Wow. That's a really long time ago. And I know some of the people listening today probably also followed you way back when. Can you talk just a little bit about the beginning of that blog, why you started it, what it was called way back then. (laughs) I would love to. (laughs) Okay. Let's reminisce a little. Yes. Let's do that. Yeah. So I don't remember exactly what year I started my blog, but I'm guessing it was around, you said yours was 06. Yeah. I'm guessing mine was somewhere around between 06 and 08. So a long, long time ago, I had a point and shoot camera that, you know, this was before we had cameras that went with us everywhere we go. And my husband is kind of a photography nerd. And so he had like a big fancy camera and I, we had just moved into a new house. It was what we thought was going to be our dream house where we were going to live forever out in the country on a beautiful piece of land. And we moved into that home with two babies who were 16 months apart and I would get them down for their nap time. Like getting them to to nap at the same time was my absolute ultimate goal (laughs) every day. And if that happened, I would take my little point and shoot camera outside and just kind of explore this property and take pictures of flowers that were growing and, you know, take pictures of my babies that were growing. And I started this little blog as a way to keep in touch with family. My family's out of state um, to kind of, it was, it was sort of like that typical visual digital scrapbook. That's why I started my blog. And I actually started on Zanga. Do you remember Zanga? I do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, that was kind of the thought behind my Zanga site. At some point, I thought, well, I might do this a little more, you know, professionally and stayed up late and and typed into the little blogger search engine a couple different names that I had in mind. They were both taken. And then I typed in Flower Patch Farm Girl and it was not taken. And that was my name for the next I mean, quite a, quite a few years I was flower patch farm girl and I was living out in the country. And I mean, you know, taking pictures of 
how I decorated my home and what I was cooking for dinner. And I, I don't even know if the language of a lifestyle blogger was happening. I think it probably was, but I by no means saw myself as that. I was just kind of documenting my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you had two young children at that point. That's right. And yes. tell us a little bit how they joined your family. Yeah. So we had, at that time, we had Calvin who, uh, so all of our children were adopted. Calvin was born in South Korea and came home when he was about five months old. And then Ruby was a domestic adoption and she came home just under a year later. So within one year, technically we brought both of them home. And like I said before, they're 16 months apart. So they're, they're close in age. Um, yeah. And that was our, at that time, that was our little family. And then since then Silas came home from South Korea when he was about 18 months old. And then Robert, our oldest came into our family when he was 19 years old. So he's by far the oldest and came to us most recently. Um, it's been coming up on 10 years now that he's been a part of our family. And so just to run through, because I like to keep, I like to kind of think of these details. Now, Robert is 26. Calvin is 16. Ruby is 15. Silas is 13. So we're officially like household, house full of teenagers. Robert, of course, is off on his own, but we've got three teenagers here at home. That's great. Yeah. My youngest is a teenager also. In fact, he'll be 15 next week. I cannot okay. believe it. It's the, wild. <laughs> this year is like the baby of the family went to high school. We were all like, okay, wow, that is a it's change. Big. It, it is. is a big change. It's a very, very different. Yeah. And now remind me, does Robert have children? Are you a grandma? He does have children. He does. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's got boys. So yeah, we're, I'm, I'm a, I am a grandma and I have been for a while. His, his oldest boys are twins and they're nine years old. Oh, wow. So (laughs) by the time he came into our family, we knew him for a while before, before he became part of us and we became Mm -hmm. part of him. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he came ready-made. Like he came into my life. I became his mom and a grandma in one fell swoop. (laughs) That was was very efficient of you. It was, (laughs) right. So way back, you're living in the country, you're living in your dream farmhouse, you're gardening, you're you know, taking photographs. And then God did something big (laughs) in your life. Like things began to change. You know, we, my husband and I, we, we both grew up, I grew up in Ohio. He grew up in this area in Indiana, but so we didn't grow up near each other, but we had very similar upbringings. We both had been raised in evangelical churches our entire lives. And, and in a way that was very central to our childhood and even to our identities. Um, and we, we lived both of us separately and then together in pretty exclusively white, rural, you know, small town spaces. Um, and so through a chain of events, we just had our eyes opened to the, the heart of the gospel, which is God's heart for the poor, caring for the poor and the people at the margins and, and loving our neighbor. And those, those things were kind of, you know, kind of a, a ball of twine. Um, and it's, it's, it's difficult to separate them. And I don't know that we need to separate them, but it was a wild thing for both of us to realize, you know, if you've grown up in an evangelical church in particular, you, you're very familiar with love your neighbor as yourself, love God and love, love your neighbor. And so that was certainly not new to us, but it, 
but it did very much feel like to to sound very um bible-y the blinders or the scales kind of fell off and and we suddenly realized okay we've always heard this before but suddenly it means something different to us suddenly we are kind of captured by the fact that that this is really the theme of of the gospel and the beating of God's heart and so what are we going to do about it and it was it thrust us into a time of a lot of questioning and we started to even grapple with you know global poverty and you know our our own um abundance you know what we had versus what others had did not have and you know all these questions started to really create a lot of tension within us and 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 those questions it was you know looking back in hindsight it feels like it happened pretty quickly but at the time it felt like a very slow moving train that was picking up picking up steam and picking up speed as it went along but it but it was just a slow process of trying to figure out here we are we live out in the middle of nowhere out in the country on this beautiful property outside of a a very small white evangelical town we don't really know people who we don't meaningfully know people who do not remind us of ourselves and suddenly it seems important <laughs> it mm-hmm. seems important for us to to get to know meaningfully people who um might be unfamiliar in different ways and and so the story continues and we did end up selling that farm and moving into our neighborhood maybe 15 to 20 minutes away we didn't move very far away but though it wasn't far in distance it was a very very different experience and we landed in a low income neighborhood um in our in a small city where there is it's it's a very immigrant rich neighborhood it's very diverse in in all different kinds of ways and we've been here now for 10 years you you knew the lord was leading you you knew you were going to be making this big change mm-hmm. was there any part of you that was sad to say goodbye to what had been your dream before god gave you a new dream was it hard Hey friends, just jumping in to invite you to our new Enneagram study in our membership community, The Village. Beginning February 1st, we'll be working through Suzanne Stabile's new book, The Journey Toward Wholeness, to help us get a better understanding of ourselves and the people we love. You can join The Village at theadoptionconnection.com/village. Use the code podcast to get 50% off your first month. We would love to see you there. Was there any part of you that was sad to say goodbye to what had been your dream before God gave you a new dream was it hard? I always I get that question a lot and I and I feel like the answer should be yes. <laughs> <laughs> um and it really for me wasn't and that is just a virtue of my personality I think. There there are aspects of my life then that I miss. And I will say the the first time I've written about this and it's it's still it remains a funny story to me. My husband and I bring this up pretty frequently and laugh about it. The first time I was with my youngest who was in preschool at the time, we we drove out here into this neighborhood where we now live just to kind of scope it out. My husband had it came onto his radar and he sent us out to to check it out. And I remember driving through the neighborhood. It was very different from anything I had ever imagined for myself or my children. That was a big part of it for me. And then we drove 
down the back alley and I saw the backyard where our, if we were to buy this home, which of course we did, but I saw what was going to be our backyard and I burst into tears. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember thinking like, there's just like it, you know, it was, I was very dramatic about it. And I just thought this is terribly unfair. There's no way we can do this. There's no way this is God's best, you know, to use that language that I very much used at the time, but there's no way this could be God's best for me or for my children. And so, you know, mostly I felt a lot of enthusiasm and excitement and like, we're just moving forward. I'm a very moving forward kind of person, but there were moments, there were bumps along the road where more than being sad, I think there were times I felt scared. Mm -hmm. It felt scary. It felt very unknown. It felt risky. A lot of people around us were reminding us that it was very risky. People struggled to understand our choices at that time, especially around our young children. So when we moved here, Calvin was in second grade. Ruby was just starting kindergarten and Silas was in preschool. So they were very young. Mm -hmm. You know, they were at what we would call very impressionable ages. Um, So, yeah, there were times those kinds of things got in my head for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. And when were they in uh, public school where you originally lived? And then were they going into the new public schools in the city? Yeah. Yeah. And they were in the well, we only had one. Calvin was the only one who was in the school. He was the only one old enough Mm -hmm. in our previous community. And, And it was a public school, but it was also the public school that many people said, oh, if I lived there, I wouldn't homeschool. You know, it was it was just a very it's a pretty insular, um, you know, what people would consider a safe community mm-hmm. and a, in a very ideal high ranking public school. And so that was, you know, it, we moved public school to public school, but it was night and day. So we ended up, there's an elementary school just two blocks away at the end of our street. That's where, you know, we sent Calvin and Ruby and we, we knew, We knew loosely, this is another one of those things that I'm like, this is so interesting to me that we didn't even look into this, but we didn't realize at the time we knew it was a title one school. So it's a low income public school. It's, it has the highest level of, um, like income need in the, within the, the whole school system. So it's a, it's a high poverty school, but we didn't realize it was, it, it had an F grade. (laughs) It was a failing (laughs) school. And I have a lot of feelings around that now. Like I've, I think that's a really unfair and an even an unjust system that we, that we impose upon public schools, but it was a surprise to us (laughs) to, to land here and realize, oh, we weren't aware of that. And, you know, that was, that was another level of learning for us. You know, what does it mean to be a, a failing school? And should parents be afraid of that? And does that mean we should not send our kids to those schools? And, you know, we, we just started learning and we've learned a, a lot through that experience. And we had a wonderful experience with, with our Chamberlain elementary school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now what did Corey do for work before you moved? And then what did he do when you moved? What was his, his change of vocation? So when we lived on the farm, And prior to that, even both Corey, my husband and myself worked in politics and Corey worked in federal politics for about 10 years. So we actually lived in Washington, D.C. for a short time before we had kids. 
my husband worked for, he was on staff for a United States congressman. And then we moved back to the district in Indiana and he continued working for him and then eventually worked for another congressman. I got wrapped up into political work from the, from living in DC. So that was the bulk of our earlier life. That was the work we did. My husband ended up very briefly transitioning as into a role as an administrator at an alternative high school. So for kids who, for whatever reason, you know, traditional education does not work for them. That's where we initially met Robert was through that, that school. And so when we moved into this home, Corey was still working in that role, but within a year or so, he became the full-time chaplain of the county jail. And he's been doing that work ever since. And so that was, that was a big surprise. (laughs) It was a big surprise to everyone involved. Um, And it's really, it's, it's, you know, it's his passion and it's his life's work and it's really what he was it's it's what he was wired to do but we never could have imagined we never ever you know prior to so I guess I'll back up a tiny bit and say when Robert came into our family he was incarcerated at that same county jail and so visiting Robert at the jail was our first that was our first touch point to jail or you know the criminal system of any kind and so it was, it was interesting just to, to watch things unfold from having this first encounter. And then it becomes a pretty big part of our life because it, it's, it's a part of our son's life. Um, and then to, to see Corey end up over time, you know, he, that's where he goes every day. Now he goes to jail every day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So I'm curious in all, I mean, this was a very big life transition transition in the way you really saw your life, saw the world, so many things. Did you, did this affect um, your relationships, your friendships, your family relationships when you made such a big shift in your life? 100%. It definitely, there, there was fallout. There were people who, you know, there were a few categories of people. I think, I think the people closest to us really wanted to understand. They wanted to be with us. They wanted to support us. But for some of them, it was very much a struggle. And I think there was another category of people who just felt like you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like we just don't. So some of our relationships ultimately survived all of this change in our lives. And some of them didn't. When we first landed in this, in Goshen, in this neighborhood, we were in a time of really you know, trying to hold on to some of these close relationships and hoping that we could and hoping that there would be understanding. But, you know, not long after, you know, we had the move and we had all of these things that were happening and they just, the the hits sort of kept coming. So when Robert came into our family, that was another, that was a hard thing. As much as I hate saying that, that was a hard thing for some people. It was a really difficult thing for some people to understand. And, you know, they were already struggling to understand why we were here in the first place. And so that was another layer. And then Corey beginning to work in the jail as the chaplain, that was another layer. And so it was just, it seems like there was this looming sense of you all have lost your minds. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we, when we got here, I, I just remember being, you know, kind of relieved in some ways to have 
space to start over and to hope for new friendships and new connections, but also it was a lonely time for us because mm-hmm. there was so much tension around some of our other relationships and the sense of, you know, some of these friendships are just, they're gone and we're not going to get them back. And, and it takes time. When, when we moved here, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a single friend in this community. Corey knew a couple people through work, but it just, it took, it took time. It was, it, it is and was slow work to build those connections and those relationships, but, but it happened, you know, mm-hmm. these things mm-hmm. take time, but they do friendship, new friendships bloom and, and some relationships repaired and, you know, you just, you continue to move forward. But I think, I think upsetting the status quo in any way is, is asking for some complexity mm-hmm. in your relationships. You know, mm-hmm. that's been our experience. So what do you think have been some of the benefits to your children? Of, I mean, it's probably so much. I mean, it's your whole yeah. world, your whole life. But, you know, what are the things that you see even early on were mm-hmm. benefits to your kids of the move? Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because my kids were so young and they were so central to the conversations happening around all of these changes we were making. And now, especially my youngest too, they really don't remember much before this. This is really all they know. And so that's an interesting thing to think about. This was not central to some of the decisions we made, but somewhere somewhere along the line, we did thankfully realize that it was going to be a good thing for our, for our non-white children. So all of, we are white parents of four non-white children we realized it was it was going to be to their benefit to be um, in a community and in a school where they were not the only non-white kids. It's one of those things that it's hard for me to imagine that I didn't always kind of understand that. But but being completely honest, there was a time I didn't completely understand that. And so it was it was sort of part of, you know, it became another another reason to be um thankful for this opportunity. And so I would say that that's the biggest thing is just is allowing my kids the opportunity to be part of a diverse community and a diverse school. I have to add the the caveat because I think about this more and more. We live our school and our community. The school in particular is majority Latino. My kids are not Latino. And so there is still this layer of it is much, much more diverse but especially my my two Asian sons do not have a lot of representation. And that's something I still regret for them. And that's something even now, though, I'm so grateful for this community and they, they're they happy and they're thriving in their schools and in their friend groups. But again, I don't know that I would do that exactly the same way now. Mm-hmm. I think I would, I would look, I would work harder to find not just diversity, but to find representation for my kids. And so that was a long answer and more than you asked for, but, but I would say that's the being raised outside of an exclusively white space has been tremendously beneficial to all of us. Um, And being raised in a, in a community and in a place that is even socioeconomically diverse and even diverse in religion and, and in all the ways has, has been a really beautiful thing for our family. You know, one thing I see that happens, what happened for me, and I see it with some other moms, is that 
when we add children to our families, well, through all different means, but in particular for me through foster care and through adoption, that my world became, in some ways it became much bigger because all of a sudden I was thinking about the world in a different way, but in other ways, in very practical ways, it became kind of smaller because the needs of my kids were just so uh, consuming. And I feel like my world got very small. And then it began to kind of open up again as our family stabilized, as my kids grew, as we found a lot of healing and things. But when I read um, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, which I loved, by the way, and we'll, we'll <laughs> be sure to talk about all your books so people know. Um, I was just so both sort of encouraged, but also a little bit in awe of this incredible calling to hospitality that you have, like to being a true neighbor. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, was that just something that came naturally to you or was it something that God just grew in you? It does not, it still does not come naturally to me if I'm being honest. And I try to really be honest about that because I think so many of us who are wired as I am, I'm, I'm very introverted as is my husband and two of our kids are very introverted. Um, but I think when we're wired that way, we tend to think like, oh, this is, you know, that's not being asked of me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm an introvert. So I like to, to let people know, like that doesn't actually let us off the hook. Um, it just means that it's, it might look a little different and it, it might require a little bit more of us. It might, it might be a, a little harder. So yeah, I, for us, I think, when we came into this neighborhood, you know, ev everything was unfamiliar, everything was new. And I was really drawn to that. I was drawn to, to begin to understand people and to get to know people. And, and in a way that really surprised me, I was not expecting that necessarily, but that, that certainly happened. And then at the point that Robert came into our life, and some of his friends came into our lives who had, most of them had been kind of entwined at some point with the criminal legal system. Um, and then Corey's work at the jail, we ended up really surrounding ourselves, just like de facto surrounding ourselves with people who struggled in ways we had not struggled. And those became some of the, the most important relationships in our lives. And, you know, the people that we found ourselves spending the most time with. I mean, you might, one of the things you might remember from the Ministry of Ordinary Places. And it's a story that sounds maybe a little overwhelming. But one of the things we did for a time was um, we began inviting people from our church. So we attend church just down the street here. It's a little tiny at the at the time. It's always kind of hovering near death. You know, it's just a small <laughs> dwindling United Methodist congregation. But the church in a lot of ways sort of began to have new life breathed into it when a lot of the people from the work release center be began attending. And so for people who don't know, work release is sort of like you're, you live there, it's incarceration, but you can leave to go to work and to church and to do some personal things. So it's a little bit like transitional maybe. Um, but what we knew when, when a lot of these people started showing up at our church, we knew that a lot of them had a personal pass that they could take on Sunday afternoon, but they didn't necessarily have anywhere to spend it. They didn't have anywhere to go. And they, they might not have had somewhere safe to go. 
So, you know, if you're dealing with addiction and recovery and those things, you might know of people that you could go hang out with, but it might not be quite the right thing for you to do. And so we started an open invitation, come over after church on Sunday and we'll eat lunch together. And, you know, we'll, you can do a lot of them would do jail calls to relatives or loved ones who are incarcerated. And that was just the kind of sort of, I guess, I don't even want to say our vision, but we, we just started to kind of fall into these opportunities for connection with people based on, you know, ask for what you need, offer what you can. And so we knew this was a need for people. And we knew we live two blocks away. It's walkable. It was easy. It was convenient. And I can, I can make soup for a lot of people, you know, Um, but, but to bring that conversation back around to kids, there have certainly been times that we have been consumed by the needs of our children. And for us, I think that reality made us very open to, for lack of a better word, chaos. Like we just, we, in some ways we felt like we were always sort of surviving a certain level of chaos. And so what might have seemed chaotic to to other people or to some of the people around us for us just felt like, why not? <laughs> you know, so it, 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 in some ways probably did make some things harder. Here's what I'll say. I, when I, when I think back to the, some of the hardest times and the hardest seasons in our lives with in particular, our kiddo who struggled the most, what was hard for me then was having close connection with people who seem to have it all together. And that was, that's what we probably really scaled back on for a lot of different reasons. Um, but, but being in community and in connection with other people whose lives for different reasons felt kind of out of control and who I didn't fear judgment from that got a lot easier and so it's, it's interesting. I don't know that I've ever even thought about it that way until you asked that question, but I think that was very much at play. And, and I think that was even to our, our kiddo who had the hardest time. I think that was a comfort to that child. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was just, you know, that particular child is an extrovert and likes a lot of activity and a lot of, you know, like has a high capacity for sort of chaos. Um, I think it, it, it kind of worked well, even as it might seem counterintuitive. <laughs> Actually, it's so interesting because you're saying you've never thought of it that way. I don't think I have either. And as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, there was a time when my life was very tidy and it looked very pretty. That ended. (laughs) That season came to an abrupt end and my life became much more complicated. Um, Not very pretty sometimes, you know, and I also, it was, it was too difficult to really just have all the relationships I had before because I could no longer come anywhere near reaching the, you know, even coming to seeing the bar that I was supposed to be getting over. Yeah. You know, I couldn't, yep. I was so far below. And I think you're right. There's something beautiful about being with other people who have some brokenness. Like we, we can relate to each other, even if it's very different, you know, the struggles you might've been experiencing were very different from the people coming from the work release program, but there's, there's a compassion I think that we have for each other when 
when we're all just, when we know it's not right. even that maybe we're a little broken. Like, no, we know. <laughs> right? it's all the cards are on the are. table. Yeah. Right? We know we are. Here we are. And so there's yeah. a, there's some beautiful community that's built from that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's real shared empathy there. And I think it kind of goes both ways. I think some of, I was the same way, like even in the early years of my flower patch farm girl days, Mm -hmm. my persona, you know, if I thought of having people into my home, it was going to be like the Martha Stewart experience. And, and that, that was shattered pretty quickly when, when life got more complicated. And so by the time we were here and, you know, the struggles were very real, I also think there were people who didn't like, we were too much for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet the people around us who just, like I said, were struggling through life in their own ways, we just, it, it was nothing to them. Like, I just remember just such a clear and open, you know, my child could, could just rage. And sometimes that happened. And, you know, it could be, it could get very messy. My house was messy because I just, you know, this is survival mode and, and nobody cared. Mm-hmm. And, and I started to see the difference, you know, in, in different kind of mentalities around this and even to, to grapple with my own perceptions and my own reality and, you know, recognizing the friend I wanted to be, um, you know, and so it's, it really lowered the bar. Yeah. It really lowered the bar on, on this idea of hospitality. I always, I talk a lot about hospitality and I always wish there was a different word because it sounds so fancy, just the word yeah. sounds fancy, but <laughs> you know, to invite people into our home and to, to do that freely and to do that quickly without a lot of second guessing, but I'm telling you what, it's a whole lot easier to live like this when you know that the people you're inviting in just hold no judgment and that they have a lot of capacity for a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they can handle it, they can roll with it and they will, and they'll laugh it off. And, you know, a lot of times they had, they had stories about their own kids or, you know, when their kids were young or their own selves and really kind of messy, you know, some, some trauma related events. And, you know, it just, it, it there was just this sense of solidarity and, you know, an understanding of, I remember it being such a comfort to me when particularly some of the women who were moms would, they knew it was no secret to anybody what we were going through Mm -hmm. and they would share their own stories. And there, I I remember just being so comforted by this, this real sense of number one, they weren't judging me or my child or anything Mm -hmm. about my home, the whole experience. And number two, they were telling me it was going to be okay. And they had lived some life, you know, mm-hmm. their, their kids have been through some things too. And, and we can't, you know, none of us can see the future, but I just remember that being such a relief to me to have people in my life. And they were, they were unexpected people who became the biggest source of comfort to me through that time. I love that. I got to spend a little time with you last spring when we were both in California, which was just a wonderful time. And I know we have limited time left, but I want <laughs> you to touch upon something that has become, well, a couple things that I learned from you that have become really important to you. Yeah. One is really understanding the prison system and or jail. I don't even have the right words. And then really uh, your understanding of race and how that all plays in. And I know time is short. Is there anything that you'd love to just take a moment to share um, with our listeners. As you know, Lisa, I, I could talk about this 
for hours. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, and, and I'm so, I'm in such a place of being a learner myself. I'm at, I'm 45 years old. You know, I've got teenagers and a grown son and I am ever aware of how poorly I was taught, particularly around race. But, but as you said, even, I mean, I was once, I would have said the same thing you did, like, what's the difference between jail and prison? And are they, you know, I don't even know. Um, so we, we found ourselves on just a, a fast learning curve with a lot of this. What was the big line in the sand was Robert. And he's, you know, at the time he was 19 years old, incarcerated, as I mentioned, he's a, he was a young black man around that time that he came into our family was when a lot of tragedies started coming into the news. And we started to become more aware of these things and young black men in particular, um, and the risks they're up against with, with police and just with the culture at large and just the, the risks they face were nothing new, but they were new to me. And I just, I always want to be really honest about this. I just, I did not know. I never had a reason to know. And I don't want to waste a lot of time feeling guilty about that. I just want to say, you know, this is day one and we all have our day one. And we just, we realize that we have a lot to learn. And so parenting Robert during that time in our culture, when, when thankfully these encounters started to be recorded and they started to, you know, come into our public line of vision more, but, but going through that as his mom um, and, and just as our relationship has grown since then and, and watching him trying to extract himself from the legal system. And, you know, it's just, it's so, so hard and there's so much to it. It was impossible for me to not be moved towards the possibility of a better way towards a more just society. And so it has really, it, it has transformed me into being an, you know, ongoing learner, but also in some ways to be an activist. And I know that's a scary word for some people, but I just, I I'm at the place now where I cannot, it can't, this can't just be head knowledge for me. And, and, and meanwhile, my younger kids were getting older and there's something different. I don't think this is necessarily ideal, but I think when our kids are babies, you know, we, I, I remember having the awareness, of course, I knew that they were, their experience was going to be different from mine, but when they're babies, they're just still kind of almost sort of extensions of us. And, you know, they require a lot of us. They need a lot from us as they get older and move out into the world that, you know, reality blooms before us. And we start to see, you know, every single one of my kids has faced racism on, on more than one occasion and sometimes in really horrible ways. And so we can't experience these things. We can't witness them up close and not be, not be moved by that. So, I mean, yeah. And then you add the layer for me of my neighborhood and the fact that, you know, the majority of my neighbors are Latino. And, and that again has changed my perspective. It has, I say all the time, my kids and my neighbors have changed my life because they have, I mean, that's what happens when we, um, when we find meaningful connection and proximity with people whose experiences are different from our own, if we're willing to see those experiences and bear that tension and believe the experiences, it, it will change us and it will change us in ways that are uncomfortable to ourselves and 
to some of the people around us. Again, that's been another, another, like another flood of people struggling to understand my perspective on this sometimes, but I just, I want this world to be safe for Robert and it's not, and I want this world to be safe for my younger kids and it's not. And I want, I want to be a safer person than I have been. And even than I am right now. And so, you know, we just, we journey. We could talk so, so, so much more about all of this. And I hope we'll get another t- opportunity to do that. I would love for you to just tell people about your books, because if they haven't read what you've written, they really need to. So. Yeah, I'd love to. So my first book is called Falling Free, Rescued from the Life I Always Wanted. And that tells the story of, it tells all the details of that first question you asked me, like, how did this happen? How did you get from there to here? That's that book. Um, My second book is The Ministry of Ordinary Places, Waking Up to God's Goodness Around You. And that is sort of my, you know, once I wrote that book in this house, in this neighborhood, and it was sort of my, as the dust settled and all the changes that were happening, me wrestling with the now what question, like why here, why me, now what, Um, and just beginning to to find my place and to, to figure out, you know, what it means to endure in a place and to seek God's goodness, even in places that, that might seem like, you know, hard places. And then I just turned in my manuscript for my third book. It does not have a title yet. It will be releasing in October of 22. So about a year from now, and it is a very practical bread and butter field guide to you know, how do we connect with the people near us? And, and how do we find connection with people who um, do not remind us of ourselves? And what does it look like to just live kind of in the in this in this fabric? What is the, what does that mean? So that's the one coming next. Well, I will definitely be reading that one, because just <laughs> in my own immediate family, my kids just have made my world explode in so many ways. You know, we are touching on cultures and countries and yep. so many different people. And I just want to get better and better at loving. Yes, people. me so, too. Me yeah. too. So I, I think, I think ideally we do that work together. You know, we don't do it alone and we, we grab hands or we link arms and, and we, we do this work together. I think that's, that's the goal. So I, I, I love doing this work with you, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And I love learning from you. I really do. Well, thank you, Shannon, so much. I am very, very grateful that you spent this time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And I'll just mention in passing, if people want to keep up with me, they can find me on Instagram is probably the, the best place to find me um, at Shannon Writes. And there's a link if you want to sign up to receive my my emails because I really don't blog anymore. <laughs> I know, I know. That's, me either. That's, yeah. that's my that's my version of blogging now. Is is join my email list if you want to stay in touch. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, thank you once again. Well, as you can imagine, I could have kept talking to Shannon for a very long time. I truly, I said this in the interview, but I truly uh, could learn so much from her. And I do learn so much from her. I cannot wait for her next book to come out. And as she said, probably the best way to follow her is on Instagram. She's at Shannon writes. She may not have mentioned this, but her name is spelled S H A N N A N. 
Yeah, Lisa, I know I'm really excited to connect with Shannon. You can find the links to her Instagram and all of her books in the show notes at theadoptionconnection.com slash 159. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. Our new Instagram handle is at postadoptionresources. Or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.